Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellished Podcast, an opportunity for me to ramble about whiskey or something for a few minutes. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists. And if you can't find me on a platform, then send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com and I'll get that taken care of. You can also find video versions of this podcast on YouTube. Uh, you can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Um, today we have a fantastic conversation with Seth from Broken Barrel Whiskey Company. So um, I hope you enjoy. All right. This afternoon I have Seth from Broken Barrel Whiskey Company joining me. Also in Fuse Spirits and probably about three or four other projects that you've got going on at any given time. Um, I'm going to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and then we'll walk through uh, a handful of questions. Be aware of your time and make sure that you've got um, other other things you got to take care of. But you know, kind of explain to us who you are and and what it is that you do. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Seth Benheim. I am the founder and the now chief creative officer of Broken Barrel Whiskey and the Infused Spirits Group. Um, we are a portfolio of single bottle infused vodkas, as well as uh, the Broken Barrel Whiskey brand, which is a finished whiskey line using multiple cast save finishes in tandem in a process we have trademarked and called the Oak Bill that sits just under the mash bill on every one of our bottles. You can read and see the various different ratio of oak staves used against one another to finish and, and add those extra notes and characteristics and, and flavors um, to the, the various whiskeys we use or, or um, are putting out. So you've got, you know, bourbon, rye, done American whiskey, we've done wheat whiskey, we've done single malt whiskey, we've done corn whiskey, we've blended whiskey, uh, we've sourced from Indiana, uh, multiple different distilleries in Kentucky, but predominantly from Owensboro uh, for the core lineup. And then we also have sourced from a small distillery in Los Angeles, which is where I am right now uh, in our sort of secondary slash headquarter office uh, where we, it is pretty much an office, but it has a tasting room, a bar, you know, a little couple lounge areas to sit in. And it has uh, about 50 barrels in the back uh, aging and sweating in the California heat. So it's, it's a cool spot and that's, that's what's kind of what's going on. So yep. anyway, and, yeah, and, thanks for having me. We're excited to be here. Yeah. I'm, I'm super, I'm always excited to, to talk to, to, to different and unique brands and uh, with what they're doing. And I think you're, you're talking about, you've got, I think you guys go call it the infusory there in, in California. You know, um, it started as the infusory okay. and then we've since, kind of renamed, reskinned the whole thing during COVID to be um, Broken Barrel's headquarter office. So the sign outside, the, the listing on Google, it's all Broken Barrel now. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you type in the infusory, it'll still pop up on Google Maps or whatever. And then, you know, we've been calling it the Stave House. I don't know if that's sticking or not. And we haven't like put any money behind it. So Broken Barrel, Broken Barrel Stave House, the Infusory, they're all fine. Um, again, it's not like a highly advertised or, or mm-hmm. um, marketed uh, venue, but we are open every day from nine to five while we're here doing our, our call it day job. People can walk in, have a tasting, get a flight, buy a bottle. We have a gift shop. 
um, yeah, it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful place to hang out. If you like whiskey and you're in Southern California, I highly, highly recommend. I don't want to like spoil any surprises, but there's a lot of fun stuff to do here, including breaking a barrel. Uh, and there's there's more, but I'll, I'll I'll leave that for maybe later in the podcast or at the end or something. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and that's that's the reason why I guess maybe I came across the name Infusory is I was actually looking at it on a map because I was mapping the distance between you um, and there's a, a guy I went to high school with that has a cider company that's about mm. 25 minutes from you. And you know he's he was a year or two younger than me and he's he's been out there for for quite a while. He had, it spent some time in Wall Street and then opened up a cider company. And I'm like, hey, you know, I've been trying to get out of the to the to the left coast and see what I can find out there and kind of explore. And I'm like, hey, maybe I could hit both of these things up at the same time. And so I came oh, across man. the infusory well, you, on Google. You are welcome. You are welcome anytime. And if you come, we will we will roll out the red carpet for you, man. Yeah. And so I, I'm going to start with you know you you use. Um, Green River, which is in Owensboro. And yep. I, you know, I, I greatly, greatly appreciate that because that's a number one, it's a fantastic distillery, but number two, it's a part of Western Kentucky. And most of the folks that, that do whiskey think, you know, Western Kentucky sort of stops way before you get to Owensboro. Um, I, I say that because I am another two hours west of Owensboro in the state of Kentucky, right? So I, I am uh, here. Like your... <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in the boot of Kentucky, but, you know, it, it's, it's, where, been, where are you exactly? So Murray, um, it's Murray. a, it's a small town. We've got a university here and that's about it. But you know, like the bottom of Kentucky where it has that little like boot, that bottom mm-hmm. right piece, that's us. Yep. That is, that is exactly where I am. Um, but I think that you mentioned in there that your, your, your title has slightly changed, right? It has. And that's a recent thing. Um, before I think you guys have picked up a, a CEO slash um, leader of the company at this point. Um, yeah, of just I, the growth of it. You know, was that a part yeah. of your plan, or is that like just a, a necessary evil? Oh well, certainly not an evil. Uh, it is a. It is the opposite of evil. It is. It is right. extremely positive, and we are extremely fortunate to have uh, the experience, talent, and leadership of someone as seasoned and, and uh, as an industry veteran, I should say, um, join our company. And, and, you know, we're all only as good as the people we work with. And so I'm, uh, you know, a lot of smart people will always say or point to, oh, you know, hire people smarter than you. It's like, all right, well, there's a lot of things I'm good at and a lot of things that I could be better at or learn more about. And, you know, while I started this company, I am and will always be the founder. My name is on the bottle. Mm-hmm. Everything you have or will taste from this company, as long as I'm call it alive <laughs> and not, you know, not not here. Um, uh, it's it's coming from me. So I mean, that's kind of the the gist of it. And so I felt like a creative officer role was probably more apropos to to what it is I'm doing because. I had a, another uh, daughter in March. My wife and I welcomed our second daughter, uh, Zoe, into the world. And so that was felt like the right time to bring in some extra help because I, of course, wanted to be home and be with my newborn and be with my wife and help out. And just, you know, with two kids, it's a lot different than having one kid. And so the timing just kind of worked out perfectly because he was available. So. We brought in Simon Birch, who is the former CEO of Green River, 
And obviously, uh, when they were acquired by Bardstown, you don't need two CEOs. So they figured out um, that situation and, and Simon was available. And he, of course, as he likes to say, he liked our business so much as the supplier for us that he actually, you know, he loved it so much he wanted to be involved. So he not only invested in the business with his own personal money, but also then wanted to help me and help the team by bringing his expertise to the business, which, you know, is kind of a whole business conversation alone that would probably take up all the time. But that's the long short of it. You know, he's he's here now. He's been here since April uh, 2023. We are rapidly expanding our distribution. We are tightening up our distribution channels. We are working on a slew of new campaigns. I'm doing a lot more marketing than I had done uh, in the past, just sheer availability of time. We re we're relaunching our website. We've hired social media um, folks to help us. We've got expanded PR. I'm, I'm out more, going to be out more, especially back after this year visiting markets, doing events, doing tastings, doing sales meetings, just all hands on deck and a lot more creative stuff. You know, we're looking three years out what products we're going to be releasing, creating the, our new schedule for collaborations. It's just a lot of shit going on. So Yeah. I mean, and, and it definitely sounds like that. And maybe, you know, necessary evil is more of a turn of phrase than it is like, I think it's an evil thing. I mean, it's interesting. Usually you bring in a CEO type person um, and you've got to, you know, pay them money to come and I assume he is taking a salary, but at this point, like he paid money to join you, right? Like that's incredibly encouraging to bring somebody in, um, in that way. And um, you guys took a really early chance on green river, right? Before green river was green river. Um, they weren't green. They were pure essential. When we, when we met them, sorry, for, I've been working with them before Simon was. Simon joined, yep. I believe, in 2018. He was there for four years mm -hmm. uh, as their CEO. They, they hired him on. I don't remember who the CEO was before him, but we were working with OZ Tyler, and when we went out to meet with them, it was Jacob Call kind of like mm -hmm. giving me the tour and showing me around, and that was, that was the <laughs> – it was the different company at the time. It was before they were called Green – way before they were called Green River – so how, how did you even like, so, you know, you're, you're, you're a brand, you're, you know, an infused spirits, you're a vodka brand, but you're looking to get into whiskey and you're buying stuff. And you pick, I know you picked up some barrels from different companies to kind of, um, you know, begin the brand effectively, but then you're like, all right, we need a sustained source of alcohol. How do you find this distillery in Western Kentucky? We go to a lot of trade shows and most people may not realize that Green River Obviously, they have their own brand now, but before that, and they had an OZ Tyler brand. I actually have a bottle of OZ Tyler somewhere on my, you know, over there, <laughs> somewhere on that wall. Yeah, <laughs> under all those bottles. Um, yeah. So the uh, sorry, the question was. Um, Sorry, I lost how, the how, how did you find them? And you, you started with, you know, you, found, about, you went to trade yeah, shows. Yeah, we went to a trade show, and a lot of people don't recognize or realize that their entire business model was bulk sales. So make a lot of whiskey, sell the barrels, sell private label. So a lot of those brands you've never heard of before that are sitting on a Total Wine shelf that are only at Total Wine because it's, the brand is owned by Total Wine, like Winchester Bourbon or 
Quarter Horse or some of these brands, those mm-hmm. are made at places like Green River slash OZ Tyler. And they are, uh, that's that's the model. Like that's their, that's where they were making, I think most, if not nearly close to all, all their revenue was in bulk sales, right? And then they have private clients like Broken Barrel who weren't uh, buying necessarily barrels that they were actually bottling there and getting exactly what they needed and having their materials, their labels, their corks, their capsules all sent to Green River slash Josie Tyler to be produced. And so we were originally a bulk client and then we became, I guess what you'd call a private client once we started making everything in-house there in 2020. So that's kind of how that relationship unfolded. And yeah. we met at a trade show. They were like selling bulk and they're like, we're a bulk mm-hmm. supplier. We we can sell you barrels. And we're like, all right, well, let's try your stuff. And we tried it. And we're like, oh shit, that's pretty good actually. And at the time it was like nine months old. The whiskey was young. Right. We met them when their oldest whiskey was six months old. <laughs> it it's it's gotta be somewhat like, you know, you you've gotta feel some degree of pride and like, you know, you pick them out and then we fast forward to, you know, in the last year. And somebody like Bardstown Bourbon Company shows up and says, hey, we're willing to pay millions upon millions of dollars for this brand. Like, does that is that like a little bit of a trip for you guys? You're like, hey, we knew we knew ahead of time. I get that feeling about a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, considering what you do, I think you probably should. I don't think I have a crystal ball, but I definitely have. On a number of occasions, looked at the person whoever I'm sitting with going, this is going to be worth money or this is going to be acquired or this is going to be uh-huh. the next big thing, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, that's, it's, it happens all the time. So you, you did, you did your undergrad work in, in retail and consumer science. Yeah. Um, Ooh, and then you, you, huh? <laughs> I mean, like I dig around on things. Um, you know, Arizona State University, you know, you're, yeah, you did the uh, fraternity University thing. Of Arizona, yeah. Oh, sorry, University of Arizona. Um, different school. But uh, mortal, mortal enemies, those two. So right, yeah. No, I mean, if, if, if we're talking sports, then I'm, I made a, a terrible, terrible snafu. Um, did you, like, when, when you finished college, did you know, like, you eventually wanted to be an entrepreneur? Do you come from a family of entrepreneurs or, no, or did they just sort no, of happen? <laughs> no, I did not come from a family of entrepreneurs. My dad is the chief of hand surgery at UCLA. Uh, he is a doctor, uh, the exact opposite. I can barely even look at, like, he'll show me pictures of some of the shit. And I'm just like, dude, no, I can't. No, that's I'm not okay. If I look at this, is like, <laughs> this is uh, – the antithesis of what I want to be doing is looking at these pictures of whatever the fuck you're showing me. Uh, and my mom was a teacher. So both of them were, you know, very academic. Uh, they both do not drink. Uh, they don't know a ton about business. Not to say they're not, they're, you know, extremely smart and can converse about it, but no, I I went in a very, 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 very different, uh, direction than both my parents and my brother and everyone in my family. So mm-hmm. no, uh, um, this is just kind of the way I am and the, the, the world I fell into. And, you know, I'm very, very passionate. If this room is not evidence of what I'm into, it's spirits, spirits and spirits. Like I'm, I'm into right. hard alcohol and I am very much, uh, in my, my comfort zone and in, in dealing with and talking about and, and 
you know, doing business in this world. This is because I, I love business. I love numbers. I love, I'm very mathematically um, charged in terms of the way I think everything's numbers and dollars and blah, blah, blah. But I'm also very, um, you know, we, uh, food, wine, uh, even beer, whiskey, fine spirits. Like I'm, I'm very much into all that. Those are, those are my interests. Those are the things I want to talk about and, you know, com uh, communalize over is these, these, you know, the finer things in life is enjoyment. You know, I love travel. So travel plays a big part, you know, finding different casts, uh, working with different distilleries. I've been to over 200 distilleries now in the last 11 years. So it's, it's just been a, a labor of love and, and I'm very passionate about it all. And it's been absolutely a blast. So I'm very, very fortunate to get to do what I do and come to this space and, and work with the people I work with every day. So that's, that's a blessing, I guess, you know, in some ways. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, it, and it seems oh. like, you know, at least I've, I've had this conversation with a number of people that are, you know, maybe mathematically or scientifically minded, but also have like an appreciation for art or whatever that, that spirit seems to be a place where those two things can kind of converge because mm -hmm. there is a science, there is a math of it, but then there's also this like, um, nebulous portion that's like human connection and flavor profiles and artistry and, yep. and, and whatever else. Like, you know, you think about the guys at, at Barrel Whiskey in, in Lexington, the guy that started that was like a data scientist before. Oh, yeah. And, then and or the guys started, uh, speak of Lexington, speak of science, you know, like the guys who did Pierce Lyons in London who also own, um, town branch that's what it's called yep. and the brewery lexington brewery like they're they made their money in yeast mm -hmm. like they did they genetically did a strain of yeast that they sold a shit ton of and like oh wait we can make you know alcohol with this yeast and it, they, they're they're a chemical science based background so it's mm -hmm. fascinating i love those stories and having been to both their facility in uh ireland as well as the distillery in uh lexington you know, it's, I love that stuff. Now, I'm not nearly as scientifically oriented as most people that would hold positions like mine. You know, a lot of these folks are distillers or have some kind of a science background or formal training in blending. And personally, I'm just figuring it out as I go along. Like, oh, let's do this and this and see how it tastes. And oh, this works. This doesn't work. Thank God I have a decent palate. And if I think mm -hmm. something's good, I'm not too far off. Having this kind of a library of competitors and, and placeholders to kind of benchmark what we're doing against, is this new batch or small batch as good as our last batch or as good as, you know, Michter's, Jim Beam, Jefferson, whatever. Like I, I, I own those products so I can go taste them against what I'm doing. Um, I try to think like a consumer because I am a consumer. Like, is this a good value or a good spot for a product at this price point? And then the business mind kicks in and it goes from there. But yeah, no, I mean, I wish I, I wish I knew a little bit more about the science of it all than I do. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean I'm not capable of taking whiskey from barrel A and whiskey from barrel B or whiskey type A and whiskey type B and combining them and 
a plethora of different combinations to find the right blend and the right finish and the right oak bill and all those things. So definitely uh, a little bit of science in my world, but not as much as, as obviously distilleries who distill their own product and are converting grain to alcohol and the whole process that goes along with it uh, in distillation. So. Yeah, and I think you know, and 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 I think it's one of the things that you do. And if I if I look around the the room behind you, um, you have to drink different things so you don't end up with like tunnel vision with this you know very very granular view of what flavor profiles are going to be. And so you have to drink other spirits, you have to drink wine, beer, you have to drink and eat all the things, um, so you can kind of understand what's going to happen next. And I guess I'm 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 sort of curious, you know, you've uh, and we, before we started recording, I was talking about you know I've got the cask of Amontillado, I've got a Mizunara finish that you did. Um, how do you go about finding a new barrel type that you think you want to use? Is this like, you know, a barrel broker calls you up and says, I have these things, or you just like, you drink something, you're like, I have an idea now. There's a combination. There's the things I want to do that I seek out. And then there are the things I'm offered and go, Oh, you know what? I, I, and I'm always weary nowadays, even more than before. I am weary of what I'm being offered. Cause if I'm getting the email, all my, so is everybody else. Right. So all those Amber, like it, it goes, that goes two ways that goes for liquid and that goes for barrels. And so I got an email, good example. I got an email like, Oh, I have 12 year old, uh, Barton bourbon for sale. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh man, shit. That's a good, that's a good look right there. I might, I might have to get into some of that, you know, 12 year old Barton bourbon. And I didn't, I didn't pull the trigger for whatever reason at the time. And boom, you know, you see all these Kentucky 12 Kentucky. And then the next year, 13, next year, 14, next year, 15, whether they had released it all or they had finished it or blended it or, or just bottled it. And I'm like, Oh, I know what that is. That's that Barton I was offered in 2019. Right. Here it is now, 2022, as a 15 year. You know, very, 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 very interesting. Um, and similarly, like, oh, Amber, I get an Amberana email every week. It's like, dude, I don't want any more Amber. I, I, I did one Amberana one time. It was 15% of an oak bill against Armagnac and other, uh, mm-hmm. other uh, woods in that oak bill, maybe French oak, I think. And it's cool. We tried it. I got it in. I originally was going to do a 30% Amberana Oakville uh, for this group. And I was like, D- no, I took one whiff of it. And I actually put a little bit into the the drum because it was a single barrel. And it was I, I tasted it after two days. I'm like, I'm going to pull this out. Like, this is this is too strong. I don't like this flavor. I don't like the way it's tasting. This mm-hmm. obsession with Amberana is it's almost like Mizunara two years ago, but it's funny because I did Mizunara four years ago. Right. And even right. then I thought I was like, all right. And hopefully this isn't uh, too, uh, isn't too on the nose, but I try. So to answer your question, I try to work within the context of what whiskeys will blend well together to give me a unique base that no one else has mm-hmm. like our Americana which is a good example in our core lineup. Or I'm trying to find unique blends of barrels that I have not seen anyone do before. And there's so many more 
barrel finish combinations coming out like Penelope or barrel craft spirits, some of those guys who are doing the same thing, same thing in the sense that they're using multiple different barrels in tandem with one another. And some of them have been great. Oh my God. There's some great products from those brands and some of them have been ooh, not so great. And I didn't, wasn't a fan. Uh, and I'm sure people have the same opinion of, of, uh, of our stuff. But I think where we differ is that because we use staves, we get the outside or the exterior of the barrel. And there's always an interesting thought component that we have to factor in. Where are these barrels stored? How old are these barrels? How long was the uh, contents within that barrel in that barrel? Is this a 20, like a 20 year old sherry versus, mm -hmm. you know, a two year old bourbon barrel versus a brand new French oak and all the thought components like, do we want to do new barrels with really old barrels and combine that? Do we, and then you get into the types of what those barrels. And then, yeah, I mean, we're doing a coffee liqueur barrel finish, which I don't think has ever been done. I've never seen anyone else do it. But I said, oh, I love coffee spirits. I love coffee liqueur. I fucking love coffee liqueur. Like, yeah, I've seen a coffee I'm, liqueur do a whiskey finish, right, where they put coffee liqueur in way. a rye barrel. Other way. Other way, so I take the I take the barrel after the coffee liqueur was in it. So, I'm so this is already on the market, or this has already been out. Coming, coming. We're we're starting. Okay. The, we're starting the oak build today, actually. Okay, because uh, I was gonna say, like, I feel like I would have noticed fall, that because I, I have fall, a significant yeah. love of coffee, and I'm like, all right, I missed this one. You know, there, there's a no, handful no, no, you guys out. That I missed. Okay, we're working perfect. with um, Laurel Canyon Spirits, which is a company here in California, and they do all their stuff up in San Jose. So our first collaboration was with LA. Our next one's going to be with NorCal, and we're going to slowly make our way out. We actually have a collaboration with Mexico, uh, with a Mexican winery that will be really neat. And so we've got a lot of fun stuff in the works uh, surrounding all that. So anyway, that's... The process is don't do what everyone else is doing. If they're zig, we're zag. Like we just have to be different. And I think, I mean, you'll see us go in some crazy directions like coffee liqueur, but you will not see us do like the vanilla extract barrels or the Tabasco barrels. There's bullshit that you, sh you see on these lists and you know, the watermelon brandy, like there is no watermelon brandy, like it doesn't exist. Yeah, you're really? talking about meme whiskey is what you're talking about. Like this is it's the just meme, meme whiskey, whiskey. Yeah, there's like these whiskeys that come out that are. Well, the reality is the the content of the barrels that are being claimed as finishing those barrels probably had said content in it for days, weeks, a month. It's not a real. There wasn't an actual intention of aging for a year or so. Which also means there's a kind of lighter interaction or lesser interaction between the content, spirit, or liquor, or whatever, with the oak. It hasn't soaked in. Like when you get a red wine barrel that the red wine's been in there for three or four years, you can see the bleed line of mm -hmm. soak line of the red hue of wine and how deep into the uh, density of the stave. Uh, that wine barrel. And we know this because we open the barrels up, like we break right. the barrel. So we see the cross section of every stave. So we can see how much uh, depth that the content has soaked into. 
traditional barrel finishes don't get to see that because they don't open the barrel up. They keep it intact. They keep it whole. They keep it sturdy. We don't do that. We break the shit open. So anyway, yeah, that's, well, and, that's and kind I, of I think where I, I think it, it, at least for me, the thing that makes it maybe a, a little bit more honest is, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that aren't necessarily governed, you know, and, and barrel finishing is, is sort of one of those things. Um, you guys are busting the barrel up, but everybody else is doing barrel finishing. They could be using wet barrels. And, and what defines a wet barrel? Like, is a wet barrel still have a gallon of product inside of it? And do you dump that gallon out or do you leave it in? Like, how are you actually dealing with this? You can't do that because you've broken your barrel apart, right? Like, it is no longer capable of holding any whisk or anything at that point. We're not, we're definitely not blending. Yeah, we're definitely not going to get like a glass worth of the prior content it, it would spill out onto the right. you know onto the floor where we're breaking the barrel or the mat or the tarp or whatever so no we don't get the prior it is truly an oak finish with oakville the oak is the only thing going into the whiskey there's no extra flavors or liquids mm-hmm. added or any shit like that like that would be you can't i mean Technically, if there's a wine barrel finish and there's still wine in the barrel, you are now blending wine with whiskey and especially with bourbon, which is even more no added flavors. Uh, restricted. You can't do that. That is against right. the law. That is against the, I mean, no one's going to go in and check this and like mm-hmm. reverse, you know, reverse engineer the spirit or the, the, the end product to say, oh, well, we actually found literally grape DNA in this liquid not a real thing so right. yeah but a wet but there's barrel, also nothing yeah. that prevents them from putting you know a cup full of liquid in there spinning the barrel around bringing the bung down draining it out and there's still stuff coating the inside of the barrel because this is a thing that some people within whiskey have been concerned that is happening with barrel finishes it's like you know it's still in there they coat the barrel they dump it out and it's now empty but there's still some inside can, right? just like anything you can decipher that by looking at the type of barrel finish and then stepping back and asking yourself a simple question of what company makes a barrel aged watermelon brandy that puts out like a a two-year-old or a one-year-old or a five-year-old watermelon brandy they don't and the reality is that while there might be a watermelon flavored brandy um or in the very very unlikely and or not accurately stated watermelon brandy. Could there be a watermelon distilled from, or sorry, brandy distilled from watermelon, mm-hmm. which I don't think is happening either. Uh, the reality is you have a barrel, ex-bourbon barrel, that is one, two, whatever bottles of watermelon flavored extracts plus brandy put in there. And, you know, at that point, it's basically flavoring the whiskey. Whereas I think, like, even our coffee liqueur find, uh, that is a six-month age product. I met the owner. I talked to him. I invited him here. He sat in my office and drank with me. Like, it's a cool, when we, when we get ready to bottle that thing, we're going to go up to San Jose and go visit the distillery where it was produced and barrel aged. There's a level of, uh, involvement that we want to have, especially as we get to our higher end products where we 
go out there and really make the effort to get to understand. Like I worked intricately with Los Angeles Distillery when we did our Los Angeles Distillery collaboration and did the barrel pick with the buyer and the whole deal. And beyond that, you know, I went down and twice to Ensenada in Baja, California, uh, in Mexico to source the wine barrels that we're using for our Mexican red wine finish. So there's a lot of a lot of that going on. We're, we're really trying to get our hands as dirty as possible with the yeah. partners and the barrels and the sources of whiskey that we are working with to, to be uh, to be different and, and a cut above, you know? Yeah. And, and one of the, I think one of the things that I think you can be credited with is, is a high degree of authenticity in what you're doing. Um, you know, because you are being as transparent as you possibly can be, we know where the whiskey's coming from. We know what you're putting in it to, to try to, to add these, you know, these stave finishes, barrel finishes, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and maybe you've answered this one before, but I don't know that it's, it's necessarily been asked, you know, you guys, are pretty keen on you break the barrel apart and then you introduce the barrel to the whiskey and its completeness. And, you know, for, for any barrel, the exterior of the barrel has rarely had interaction with the whiskey, right? It, it rarely, maybe it's come all the way out through the, the wood or maybe not. Do you think, and this is maybe a really subjective question. Do you think that maybe you're the thing that makes it unique, what you guys are doing is that you're getting some degree of whatever was in the barrel, but also some degree of a uh, similar to a scotch influence because it's unfinished Oak that hasn't been charred, hasn't been done, whatever that the outside is adding that influence. Does that question um, make sense? I don't, I, yes and no. I think part of what you're saying is, is there in that. Yes the exterior of the barrel is adding a whole complete unique other layer and definition to the uh construct of the whiskey it's in contact with but i wouldn't say it's anything like scotch like scotch whiskey mm -hmm. while it does go into a used barrel predominantly most scotch will end up in an ex-bourbon barrel or some of them are full maturation and cherry cask or they go into, I don't know, some other kind of barrel, uh, typically used barrel. I mean, they'll call it out if it's not mm -hmm. bourbon. They don't call it out because it has to be right. a new charred oak barrel, but a brand like, let's say, Okintoshin, uh, Okintoshin will do a virgin oak and they'll call out virgin oak because it is not normal or assumed or by law that that scotch had to go into a new charred oak barrel. Uh, and again, obviously the, the color difference, you can get a 10, 20, 30 year old scotch that is lighter in color after that much time in a barrel than a three year old bourbon, let's say from Texas, like a garrison or something that, mm -hmm. or, you know, that has really deep, rich color because it went into a new charred oak barrel and is a bourbon. And that, you know, people misunderstand like, oh, what's, why is scotch so light and blah, blah. You know, it doesn't doesn't mean it's not good. Doesn't mean it's not wildly flavorful. It just it, you you cannot um, discount the amount of color and impact that new charred oak has. Which is why I like bourbon, but I also do like some of these whiskeys that we've been using that are American whiskeys because we're an American whiskey company. We only use American whiskey, and. I have been able to find and actually am seeking out constantly 
whiskey, American whiskey, that went into a used barrel off the still. And why I do that is because it doesn't have it, a lot of characteristics and flavor and construct of that whiskey is being built by the expansion and contraction and uh, the chemistry of being in a bottle, a barrel, but it's not picking up all those really bold, powerful flavors that come from the bourbon uh, style of whiskey, which is the new chart oak or, you know, American rye whiskey, new chart oak. And those used barrel American whiskeys, they're great because they have great viscosity, great uh, body. They're, they're, they're such a full, like, you know, thickened whiskey that has really done its time, but it's missing the flavor. And what do we do? We add flavor. Broken barrel adds flavor from this stave and that cask and blah, blah, blah. So I, I, a whiskey with little or no flavor doesn't bother me. A whiskey that's thin and young and doesn't taste good, that bothers me because I can't fix time. Right. right? Time, time is not something you can cheat or skirt or go around. And I'm not, in, you know, we don't do rapid aging. We are doing the Oakville we, and, and applying that process. We are trying to layer in complexity and flavor and depth to the whiskey that might not be there. But if we have a great base, a good, solid, sturdy base that can stand on its own and has uh, notable attributes, but is also impressionable and will will accept, you know, this is why we won't do a 15 year bourbon that spent 15 years in New Chardo. I don't think a sherry cask or a wine cask or whatever is going to be as notable or as important or even you make the argument why would you fuck with a 15 year old bourbon to begin with but right you know i don't mind i don't mind fucking with these two three four year old bourbons because they've got the components of those early years of the bourbon barrel but they're still impressionable at that age to sherry cask and rum cask and you could peach brandy cask or whatever and you can get it you can get that flavor in there um just enough to really enhance and embolden those bourbons but i have no issue taking a 10-year american whiskey that spent its entirety in a used cask and then throwing sherry at that because that's going to taste great that's going to be lively and vivacious and so much better than maybe we ever could have thought or anticipated. So that's the kind of stuff I'm after, truly. You know, um, and and maybe maybe it's it's good to find out. You know, for for a, for a guy who who has a whiskey named Heresy, you do have a line. You know, like don't don't fuck with 15 year bourbon, right? So so for a person who has no problem being heretical. There's there's still a line to to be drawn there, and um, I, I would I would challenge, hey, you know, yeah, if you sure. give it a shot, and see what happens with 15 year whiskey. Um, and I, I mean, I would do it if, if if money were no object, I would do right. it. Right, mean, there, there's a cost factor that then makes it prohibitive yeah. to do much <laughs> with it uh, because you have this this risk of you make it worse, and then you've got to figure out how to sell 15 year whiskey that you've made worse. Um, yeah, and, I mean, so, I don't think I would make it worse, but I would. I would probably want the quality and uh, 
prestige of the barrels used to finish a 15 year bourbon to be good or great and they would probably cost a fortune as well as the whiskey would cost a fortune and if it was not out of this world i'd feel really guilty about trying to sell this very expensive product that may not actually be that much better than a three-year this or a five-year that you know you know so I, i i was listening to an interview you did with drew hannish and you mentioned that you can tweak the recipe as you go along, right? Like as you kind of throw oak in and say, okay, you know, it's not quite there. I mean, it would be tough to do that with a 15 year whiskey. Um, but it kind of in that vein. So you know, a handful of years ago, my, my wife and her grandfather decided they wanted to make wine and neither one of them had ever made wine before. And so as they're making it, um, they keep adding before they've actually put it in to, 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 to ferment, they keep adding sugar because it doesn't taste right. And so what they come out the other end with is pretty terrible because they just added way too much sugar. Have you done that? Like, have you tried to tweak anything and you come out the other side and you're like, this is just not going to work. Like, what do you do with that? You put it back in the barrel and you wait <laughs> and see what you happens. Just see what I've happens. Got a barrel, I've got a barrel in the back that, I tasted it and I go, I don't know if this is going to be anything. And so we just put it back in the barrel and we'll, we'll check on it in a few years. So there's, there's no embarrassment or, you know, the, the one thing you can't do is you can't, we can't, I don't know about other people. We can't put it out. We can't put it out if it doesn't mm-hmm. taste good. If I don't, if I don't give a sign off, it's not going out. Right. It's not. we're not going to sacrifice the quality or the reputation we're building to make a couple bucks. That's mm-hmm. not going to happen. So we're not out there to go, okay, this is acceptable, but not great. We're not going to put that product out. And, and to that point, you know, uh, some of our whiskeys I think have been better than others, but it's also personal preference. I've had people tell me that they loved, xyz whiskey we made and we made so many uh in the last Mm -hmm. couple years and you know it it becomes this really fun conversation i love having about well i like the honey smoke well no i like the fenwalker i can't even and other people go i can't even drink the fenwalker and then i'm sitting there like i actually kind of like the fenwalker i think it's pretty damn good that's why i put it out but i also drink peated scotch and a lot of Mm -hmm. these you know bourbon or american whiskey junkies don't like or understand or get or have a palate for peated anything and so it becomes this discourse that that i kind of like stirring that pot and then getting people to go oh well they did this thing and this wasn't my speed and i didn't like it but then they did that other thing and that's my favorite whiskey and and whatever so it's fun i i love because i i'm like you pointed out earlier i am a kind of a student of all the spirits and I'm buying various different casts to combine with various different types of whiskey. And I have some rules. I won't put peated uh, barrels with any corn whiskey whatsoever. I think that is sacrilegious to the point that like not heresy sacrilegious, like, Oh, Seth's going to do it. It's more like Mm -hmm. nobody who has taste buds, should do this because it's bad you know we we do things because it's different not because it's bad no not mm-hmm. not to be like you know counterculture 
so I'm not a fan of like tequila cast finished bourbons. I think that anyone who's truly spent time drinking lots of tequila and lots of bourbon can probably tell you that like, all right, let's not blend up milk and orange juice either. That's not going to taste good. Or mint and orange. Don't those flavors do not go together. They are very bad. Chocolate and pickle, probably a bad combo. Let's not go there. And similarly, you know, there, there may be somebody that likes that, but that's going to be a really, really small. Oh, there's always going to be someone who's like, oh, I love chocolate pickles. That's my favorite food. Like, okay, you do you, man. Like, right, but that's that's not enough to, to sell. Like, you, you can't you can't sell that. That doesn't. Yeah, so I I go I you know I have to kind of use a little bit of the business brain on some of these things and go, is this going to sell? Like, there's there is an element of okay, it's unique. Okay, it's different. Okay, it's cool. Okay, it tastes really good. But then there's always, always, always the thought, is it going to sell? And that's got to mm -hmm. be a factor. So right. I mean, it's this is this. It's not UNICEF. You know, you're you're trying to make some trying to make some money while 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 doing something enjoyable. Um, and you brought up Pete, and so I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump into this one because I thought of it. You know, it, you've done Pete before, right? You did um, three times. Yep. Three times. Now, what were the three uh, the three offerings that you did? Well, one led to the other, and that led to the other, and so forth. But we did the Isle of Pete. And I grossly overordered. Uh, my mathematics were wrong, and I had a substantial amount more barrels than I intended to have for the product line because we were trying to do a. We, we had a limited bottle run, and the, the labels were actually bottle numbered. You know, mm -hmm. one of one thousand, two of one thousand, three of one thousand. They're sequential, so we got to the last bottle and the last label and we stopped and we looked at the tank and we still had a ton of whiskey left. So we re, so we did the Isle of Pete, which was finished with uh, 15 year old Lafroig barrels, which was really cool. Actually. Um, we can't say, or we can't, we, we couldn't market that it was Lafroig barrels, but I have a picture. They were Lafroig barrels. Uh, and we had four. Lefroig well, you're barrels. not marketing it anymore because it's all gone, right? You, you can't market with already sold. Sold. Yeah, I got double gold at San Francisco World Spirits, which was great. They understood, you know, a bunch of, mm -hmm. you know, well-rounded worldly whiskey drinkers that drink everything from mm -hmm. everywhere all the time. So they they got it. They understood it. They they understood the assignment. They drank it. They tasted it. They said it was good. And a lot of American whiskey fans tried it and go, what the fuck is this? Like, I, this is smoky, but it's, you know, and then a lot I mean, of Scotch it says it in the name. It says on the label very clearly Isle of Pete. Yeah. And then a lot of people from who were Scotch heads were like, this is not peaty at all, which, you know, it wasn't peated. Right. It was with Pete barrels. Barrels. They, they weren't, you know, mega fans of it. But then, you know, most people would have stopped there. I didn't. I was like, you know what? Fuck that. I did it again. So I then took that extra liquid we had and put it into uh oloroso sherry and ardbeg barrels i double i doubled down on pete and added sherry and i came out with the fenwalker and now the whiskey was a little older because uh, it's been a year in those barrels and that one was a really small run it was like 900 bottles so it didn't it didn't light the world on fire it kind of came <laughs> came and went and it was the last thing 
we produce before the packaging change and the real kind of transition into what is now broken barrel. So I think a lot of people got really excited about the new bottles. They kind of didn't really care or do or say much about the Fenwalker. And then I did the Fenwalker 2, the second sighting, which brought it all back. And it all spent another year in Ardbeg barrels, Ardbeg 10. Um, and that's been sitting there. Uh, or sorry, that, that came out uh, last year and that sold really fast. I had no problem selling that. But it didn't really, it wasn't a huge conversation for mm-hmm. anyone in particular. It kind of was under the radar. It was only in California. It wasn't online. So that kind of was just a, was a sale for us that, that went out really fast. It didn't get, we didn't have the PR machine kind of running on that product, mm-hmm. but I have one more barrel, one last barrel that will be the third and final Fenwalker, the Fenwalker third encounter. And I'm at this point, there's no pressure to release it. So it is just aging, aging, aging. It's mm-hmm. been there since December of last year. And I believe it's five years old now, um, but I don't know. I have no, when I go and pull from the, I pull from the barrel once every six months. So we'll see, we'll see where it's at in six months. And, you know, one day I hope I open it up and I feel like it's ready and it's, it's done its thing. It's, it's gaining ABV here in Southern California right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not too humid here. It's pretty dry. It's pretty hot right now. So it's, actually gaining a little abv um i'm i'm just looking forward to seeing what happens with it there's no pressure to launch anything anytime soon so so is that going to be your last foray into to to peat or have you considered doing like partnering with anybody that does north american peated whiskey and getting their barrels there are some really good american peated whiskeys that i've tried actually Two of my favorites are Stark Distillery out of Pasadena. He imports uh, peated Scotch malt. um, And 10th Street in NorCal, both in California, oddly, does a peated whiskey. And then there's a Delbach in Tucson, Arizona, does a mesquite Mesquite, smoke. It's not peat, but it's mesquite smoke. You get a smoke flavor, and it's It's, like traditional bourbon fans are going to not see the difference between the two, really. Yeah, uh, if you don't like peat, you won't like the Delbach Mesquite uh, smoke, cast strength, whatever. But those are all really good smoky American whiskeys that I like. Um, and I would endorse those 100%. Those are great whiskeys. I own all those. Big fan. Uh, but, yeah. But, yeah, no, I think to, to your question, though, the, yeah, the last Fenwalker – it may be the last Pete you see from me for a while. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be a, a California only, or are you going to try to push that through? It might uh, be an online only. I may just do that uh, for fans and, and people that you know go to our site and buy direct. Well, I'm marking it down right now. I'm, I'm, I'm marking yeah, it down. That's it, what like said Pete. today. Yeah, but I couldn't tell you if it's coming out next year or in five years. Five I years. I mean, wait, I, look. Man, I'll, I'm one of those people that will stick with something for a long time and just kind of keep checking. Um, I've, I've done that with a number of things. We're um, that kind it, of company. We are, we're the kind of company where if you keep checking back in with us, there will be a lot of crazy, cool, surprise shit that comes out that will just be worth kind of like, oh, 
we're not running the same plays again and again and again and we're not we're not releasing you know god bless them and, and i'm i'm a customer so you know but you know high west isn't launching like a new annual release every year it's just you know midwinters batch five batch six batch seven mm-hmm. batch eight of the same label where that's not what we're doing we're not launching the same label again and again every year like we will come out with brand new one of a kind never before seen never will make again labels every year that is what mm-hmm. you can expect from us so you what you're saying is you should really like to submit to ttb and get denied and submit to ttb and get denied and then finally get the label just right for them like you just like this uh almost sisyphus like uh, activity a sucker for pain a sucker for yeah. pain and somewhat of a masochist now no we're actually really good we got our shit through the ttb on the first or second try nice nice we, got, um, and, we understand the uh the game yeah <laughs> And, and you sort of alluded to this about, you know, sort of, you know, everybody has something has, has a kind of a different flavor and uh, that they enjoy. Right. And uh, I was able to be a part of the um, virtual tasting that you did with the bourbon lens tasting group I don't know, six months, nine months ago or whatever. And we oh, walked cool, through a series cool. of different things. Um, and it's always really nice to hear other people talk about what they like. And even if I don't like it, I know it's good for someone else. And there are very few bad whiskeys I've ever had. I've just had whiskeys that I don't care for. Um, you know, there are some bad ones out there, but most of the time it's just like, nah, this is not a flavor that's for me, but it's really good for somebody else. Somebody likes black licorice. They're going to find some flavor profiles out there that they enjoy that I particularly don't care for. But um, you guys, you know, at least one of the things that you've you've said in a number of interviews um, and, and I really like this is that you, you try to make some sessionable brands of whiskeys, right? Things that you can just sit down and you can, you can drink, you know, like, and, and have a good time. And, um, it's evident, you know, with, with, with the, the, the bourbon offerings. And then when you get into the Americana, um, it's, a, it's a little bit different and the heresy is, is fantastic. I, at least in, in my impression of, of it, it was one of the, um, one of the things that sort of caught me off guard whenever we did that tasting was the heresy specifically. Um, but one of the last things that I want to ask you, and I'm hoping it's not me that just froze. Maybe, maybe it is. So you've, you've, you've mentioned this on several interviews that whenever you were in college, you were really into like making cocktails for people and sort of putting things together. And um, at least with the one Oh, sorry, the 95 proof whiskey, it tastes like something that would go really, really well in a cocktail. And so my question is like, What's what's the what's the summertime cocktail that I should make with this ninety five proof uh, whiskey that is a, a summer whiskey cocktail? Ooh, like a whiskey sour would be like the the easy one. I think that's a go to. Whiskey sours are awesome. They're refreshing. They're bright. I think it's a drink you can have two or three of easily. More than an old fashioned or a Manhattan or something, those kind of really can start to, or, you know, you could do a smash with it. You could do a, a really cool bourbon smash. So you can do uh, a couple blackberries, some sugar, a little lemon juice and smash that up, like muddle it up. And then even add mint. If you're, if you're feeling bold, get a julep kind of vibe going. Mint julep was good too. 
Those are great. I, uh, I think you got me on that last one. I think uh, we've got some blackberries growing out in our backyard yeah. right now. So I may, uh, yeah, I may walk outside and get some blackberries yeah. and some, some mint and some, yeah. some lemon and, and make a, a whiskey, whiskey smash out of it. Now, uh, stepping completely outside of, uh, of whiskey, what's the other summertime cocktail that's not whiskey related? Like what's, what's that thing? What, what should we be drinking? I'm in, I'm in California, so we just drink margaritas all the time. Margaritas, but they've got to be made fresh. Or are you like, yeah. are you using uh, pre-made pre-mixes? Oh, I'm not making them. I have people make them for me, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like I know myself well enough to know I suck at making cocktails. Right. I work I work hard for my money. I work hard for my money, so I got to spend it. And I, you know, I like supporting places too. Like I like going mm-hmm. to local restaurants, not chains. And I yeah. like getting cocktails at like, you know, privately owned bars and restaurants and supporting my community and like neighborhoods and, you know, places where you can see the family owns the restaurant. That's the kind of stuff that I love. So yeah. the the only thing I have left is, you know, I, I, I know some of the answer of this and um, where are we going to be able to see you this fall? I think I know that you're going to be in the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. I'll, I'll be at the Kentucky Bourbon, Bourbon Festival. Festival. I expect uh, to, to wave at you and Bourbon say hi. Banks. But where else are we going to see you? Bourbon Festival, Bourbon on the Banks. Uh, there will be some L.A. Magazine events in Southern California that I will be at. There's a chance I'm going to Alaska to be at Brown Jug, uh, which is a chain out there. Uh, but, but, but. That's what I have for you now. I don't. I, I don't know my own. I don't know what I'm going to be next week. So right. it's kind of hard. I, th- I think the big one is Kentucky Bourbon Festival, uh, Bourbon yeah, on the I Banks. This the, for for this end of the country. Like this is this is the opportune moment to be able to see Seth to be able to um, kind of figure out what's going on with Broken Barrel at that point in time. Yeah. Um, I appreciate the time you've given me. I know you said 30 minutes, and we're at 58. Yeah, I know. I got to apologize jump. for that. Um, but if you got anything else, feel free to drop it. If not, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you, John. I appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to seeing the edited, cleaned up version of this where I, I don't lose my picture on my camera and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in for this offering from the Embellish podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave a review on whatever platform that you have to be consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media at Twitter or Instagram using EmbellishPod and give me a follow so you can keep up with what's going on here. Um, I can also be found at www.embellishpod.com with all of my links, accounts, contact details, and more. Thanks for stopping by.